on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We preview OU Baylor with our man David Smoke and also preview the biggest games of Week 10 in college football. As always, we finish giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, November 2nd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now we're recording this Wednesday morning. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. How are we feeling, Teddy Lehman? Fantastic. Could not be better. I like that. I like hearing. I like the energy, man. Let's go. Big. We're streaking. We're streaking. streaking. We've won two straight. We're good. The Oklahoma Sooners are going streaking. I mean, <laughs> what? But, and I, I do think that, you know, when you look at this game, let's just jump right into it. When you look at this game, is this what we expected to be on the line? Or I guess what, you know, there's really nothing on the line uh, other than pride and putting, you know, a a good, a better season together for both of these teams. But this game does not have the big 12 title race implications that we thought it was going to have. That being said, I, I think this is a really important game for Oklahoma and for Brent Venables, and and for what, for how this season can be remembered. Like, I I do think there's, there is this journey forward where we're talking about, yeah, it got off to a really rough start, but damn, man, look at how they rallied and came together and improved. And I'm hoping that's, that's what we're talking about at the end of the year. And this game for me, like, this is a big, measuring stick game to see where this team is at yeah and also like de- kind of depending on maybe health wise with oklahoma state i think this is probably the toughest remaining game yeah um i think it's it, it's absolutely critical um you know we still have an opportunity for a 10-win season which you know to be able to salvage something like that would be really good for these guys um 
I wish we got Baylor earlier because I feel like they're starting to play some of their best football of the season right now. They finally found their back. They've got that run game going. But, uh, you know, I still think it's going to be a high-level game. This is going to be a game that is, in my opinion, far better than what the records say. I'm with you. All right, so you had Brent Venable's coaches show earlier in the week. Anything he said that really stood out? Uh, yeah, you know, he was he was pretty complimentary of, of a lot of guys. You know, obviously there was some things um, defensively. There was just a small handful of plays uh, that kept them from having what would have been an, a, just a really excellent day. Continues to hammer special teams home, right? And, and that's something that, that gives them an edge. If they can continue to win special teams, um, that's going to help them down the stretch. Um you know, other than that, it seems like everyone, for the most part, is healthy. And guys that have been banged up, I know we had Barnes out. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's like a game-time type of deal. Bowman got to play. As far as, like, who played at Iowa State, they came out of there fairly healthy, which I think is, is still good. The team is trending in the right direction health-wise. Yeah, that's good, right? Yeah, I mean – you you gotta have you want to have your biggest playmakers out there on the field, and it seems like Oklahoma is getting back to that point, getting some guys right at the right time. Let's let's start with when OU's defense is on the field and when Baylor's offense is on the field. Ted, what what are you watching for? It's all about the run game, man. It's all about the run game. Um, they're you know they they do. A lot more window dressing with it, I feel, this year than they did previously. They've always had some there, but I feel like it was a little bit a little bit more what you see is what you get previously, but now they're window dressing it with a, a ton of shifts and motions, unbalanced, trips into the boundary. They run it out of shotgun. They run it out of pistol. They run it out of uh, quarterback under center. Um, you know, they'll... It, they seem to be right-handed when they run it, you know, and, and I don't know. There's the OU staff has a lot more data on that. That's just kind of me, you know, not really tracking it. It just feels like it's a little more right-handed for them. Uh, but, you know, they build boots and everything off of it. Um, the key is stopping the run and getting them into third and long. I mean, that's it. So, it's interesting that you say it's right-handed because as I watch Blake Shapen now, everything that they do, and full disclosure, this is this is quite possibly my favorite offense in all of college football because it is all based on my favorite play in football outside zone. Everything that they do in Jeff Grimes' system is built off that play, and they – they are starting to run outside zone with Richard Reese at a higher level. And that offensive line is starting to play some better football. They're disappointing for me early in the season as I, as I really dove into them this week. But Shapin likes throwing on the move going left. Yeah. Yeah, their boot stuff They're, is always away. Yeah, which is which is interesting because you would think Sometimes you would want to boot him out where he's rolling right yep. and feeling more comfortable, but he appears to be it's just a random observation. He appears to be more comfortable throwing it on the move in the boot game when he's going left, which is, I mean, just a, just an observation. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely right. And they do some things. So they run uh, like when they're in shotgun and they give the stretch look and they'll do it away from the tight end. They do this little pivot play where it's not, it's like a, it's like just a quick boot. The tight end, like, uh, you know, gives the fake reach like, oh, I just couldn't quite cut you off. And then he just pivots and shaping just like sidearms it after he gives the fake. And they do it quite a bit and they've been doing it more as the season has progressed to me it's almost just like a run in a weird way it's like a shovel pass or something almost but yeah it that's interesting that's tough that's you just got to say stay you know like you always say they're trying to that cutback is critical and if you're worried about that little pivot play right there it's hard to really play that cutback physical and press it um you know I, i think one of the things that uh, I thought was really interesting is they like to run stretch on third and long if you're pressuring because, uh, number one, you're thinking you're going to, you know, kind of sit back. We're going to attack the – we're going to defend the chains. You know, we, we may bring some pressure, try and get it out of the quarterback's hand early. But uh, guys that are blitzing, especially from depth, are a lot less gap secure and especially against stretch you could really cut some of those guys off and they had some success uh doing some of that against tech third and seventh third and eight uh tech was bringing some inside pressures and they would stretch it increase them and pick up the first down so i thought that was interesting um i don't know i'd like to see what you think but to me the tight ends meh blocking just okay Nine is better than 89, but I don't think they're great and really not good in pass protection. I have been – Ben Sims is a guy who he's, – he's number eight. Ben Sims is a guy, big, athletic guy, you know, all Big 12 type guy, preseason all Big 12. I, Braden Willis is a better tight end. Mm-hmm. Like all around. I said like nine. I think I'm thinking of eight. I think yeah, it's eight. eight. It's eight. Yeah. But I, I, I'm with you. I have not been overly impressed with what he has done as a complete tight end this year. And I now watch us say that, and he goes off for like 120 and two touchdowns, and we'll look yeah. like idiots. But. I am well, I'm not talking about them more as blockers. Um, uh, you know, that's cause that's really, they're going to run, they're going to run the hell out of the ball. And they're both those tight ends are going to be out there a lot. I just, I think that we can beat them off the edge. Our guys can, can handle them. Um, you know, the pass game is, is going to be secondary and we've obviously got to lock those guys up, but I think we should be able to have some success with those guys. Yeah. I think the, you know, kind of, uh, an in the weeds type thing, and you talk about this quite a bit when you're playing a stretch team, when you're playing a wide zone team, the guys on the backside of the defense have to be extremely disciplined because the whole concept for that play is to stretch the front side, cut off the backside and run in the alley in between those. And you cannot over pursue on the backside. You cannot get too caught up in sprinting to the ball. You have to take really good angles 
on the backside and fit in your gap. Like this is the most disciplined they will have been, will have to have been all season long against an opponent's running game. And that includes Texas and B. John Robinson and everything he brings because every gap is in play, which is why I love the outside zone concept so much. It it gets guys running, it creates a ton of variables, and then the back gets to go be an athlete and use his vision and use his talent. The guys on the backside of this defense cannot get too caught up in flying and go and make a play. They have to stay disciplined and stay in their gap. There cannot be big creases because they're just getting too antsy and flying over the top, Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see how they play it. You know, some teams play it a little bit differently. Um, you know, here's something that that we did whenever I was in the NFL with Detroit, and you had to have some of the right guys to do it. But um, believe it or not, we actually had a really good defense. When we played outside zone teams, we would tell our three to just get reached, just allow it, and just come straight up the field. Um, you know, the front side backer plays it normal and it the backside backer can now overlap instead of instead of everyone like fighting and turning and running, it almost eliminates the cutback right away and everyone can still run front side. I'll be interested to see like how they and we'll know right away like how they're gonna fit some things and, and what exactly they're gonna do. Um, but yeah, you're right. The backside is critical. And uh, you know, one of the things Venables did say is the Ulu, he thinks, has come a long way. And, you know, we talked about him in the broadcast. He needs to have a really good day on the backside, staying square, using his length, you know, being patient. You know, they're going to get you with some of the cutback stuff, some of the boot stuff. Uh, but, you know, there's a really fine line between being methodical, staying square, being in good position, and just being a little late. I mean, you, there's there's not much room for error there. He's got to have a really good day. Yeah, and also, like, Shapin's a good athlete. We've seen, you know, we saw the damage Adrian Martinez. Now, he's not that type of runner, right? He doesn't have that type of speed like Martinez has got. But we saw Duggan make some big plays in the football game with his legs. Blake Shapin is more than capable of extending drives with his legs. And we've seen this defense struggle with that at times. That that that, that play that I loved how upset BV was at the Decker scramble. Like, he was the only person I know that was more upset about it than you. It was great <laughs> to hear him talk about it. You could just see the disgust on uh, his that, face. It's the easiest thing ever. That's the easiest play ever with two backers having vice like that. But I, I actually think... I think Shapin and Deckers, as far as scrambling, are about are pretty comparable, don't you? Yeah, I think Shapin's a better passer. I think yeah. he's got more arm talent. Uh, I think he's more accurate. But you mentioned, and this is something that OU fans prepare yourselves. Baylor's going to go for it on fourth down a lot. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
It's what it's it's what they've been doing for two seasons now. And so you mentioned them sneaking some runs and those types of plays in uh, third and long where you just go, really? Yeah. It's because they're going for it. And they'll go for it on fourth and five, fourth and six. Like they will, they'll roll the dice a little bit. And I'm sure that they got some sheet that they're following. But well, some of that have- was against Tech, you know, and Tech was bringing crossfire, which is about as bad as it gets against stretch. So I think that's that's probably part of why they were doing it too is you know some inside crossfire uh blitzes and they hit them on it a couple of times it was impressive. But you're right. Yeah, fourth down is you're defending four plays. Yeah, which you have to change your mentality defensively in this game. Like you can't think, "Oh, we got them in fourth and three. I can relax. Let's jog off the field. Like that is, that's not how this game is going to play out, which I, I, they know that going into the game. So you expect them to be ready for it. Um, just from my mental approach to the football What's interesting game. is they're saying the same thing about us, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're saying the same thing about us. It's, we may break the record for fourth downs, uh, attempts in this game. I hope. You got anything else? OU's defense, Baylor's offense? Um, the only other thing I was going to say about shaping is I I think I've heard you say this before. Some YOLO uh, throws. Yeah. <laughs> Just he, why not? You know, let's throw it up, see what happens to Gavin Holmes or Monterey Baldwin. Let's say, hey, let's let him yep. go get it. He'll, he'll toss it down the field under pressure. And, you know, he does a good job of, of putting it into some areas where usually only his guy can make the play, but um, like I said, the, the big thing about, about Baylor right now is they did not have their running game going for, for most of this season, like it was last year. And the last two games, they've really gotten Reese going what 180, I think against tech and, you know, 140, 150 in the game before that they're starting to get it rolling. Now, I think that defensively we are, we're quite a bit better than what you saw against tech and should be able to do a better job, but still like that's, that's the key. You you have to stop the run against Baylor and make shape and predictable. If you don't do that, you're going to be facing fourth and shorts all day long. Yeah. And my hope after this game is to say, Hey, that Iowa state game, the way they shut down the run, the way they played defensively, like that was a turning point for this defense. That that's my hope is that, that's what we're talking about after another solid performance against Baylor. But it's a big challenge, man. It is a big challenge. Okay, let's talk about OU's offense versus Baylor's defense. Ted, you and I have been big fans of what Baylor has done defensively these last couple of seasons. First and foremost, I'm going to stress this. They, they don't have Petrie or Bernard anymore. This is still a very violent group on the defensive side for Baylor. I think, and I know Iowa State's defense is what it is, right? That's a really good group. Statistically, they're the best in the conference. Texas had a ton of talent on the field. I have not watched a team this season that's made me go, ooh, more than this Baylor group. They will knock the absolute hell out of you. And it's been, what's crazy is it's been that way for since really since rule showed, showed up, 
Yeah. They they are physical, man. Yeah. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. There are going to be some pads popping in this game. But I think the most important thing for Oklahoma offensively is the O-line communication in this game. Because Dave Aranda is a defensive wizard, right? He's in the same category as Brent Venables when it comes to producing chaos. And they throw all kinds of different fronts at you. Now, I am interested to see how much tempo OU plays with, right? Last week, we saw them slow it down a little bit because tempo was not your friend because Iowa State gets lined up pretty much the same way to any formation, snap in and snap out, right? Well, Baylor, they like to mix it up, man. Uh, I mean, are are you going to be three down linemen with kind of an outside linebacker body? Are you going to be four down linemen? They'll get in an odd structure with three linemen. They'll get in an even structure with three linemen. They'll get in a four-man front. They'll play four-man odd. They'll get in a bear look. They'll do all kinds of different things with their linebacker alignments. Like half the time you're like, hey, is Doyle number five, who's their middle backer? Is he just kind of a defensive lineman? (laughs) Yeah. Because he's playing at the line of scrimmage so much. So all those different looks with the D linemen, the outside linebacker type bodies, and then their inside backers, like it's a lot to process. You have to know what you're doing in each concept against all those different fronts. And that's why, you know, guys like Aranda and Venables are so multiple because the prep for the game is exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see number one, how much tempo Levy thinks, like, will the tempo force Baylor to keep things a little more simple defensively, right? From a the standpoint of just getting lined up. And then number two, when Baylor's allowed to do all this stuff, how does Oklahoma's offensive line handle it? How does Andrew Rame process everything and communicate it across the board to that offensive line and to the backs behind him and to the tight ends? Like there's a lot going on in Baylor's defense and it's going to take very clear and thorough communication to sort it all out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a tough physical group and, you know, the biggest thing is the anchor that they've got right in the middle, right? That's, that's how it all works is, is you've got to have a, a great anchor and, you know, like the closer you get to the football, the better Baylor gets defensively, you know, with their inside backers and, and, um, and, uh, Ika right there, gigantic human being that you just cannot move. So yeah, it's going to be a huge test for the offensive line, but you know, I, all that being said, I still think like our running game, there's some stuff that I really like in our running game that we, we should be able to, to do, I, I like attacking the edges. That's something you've been talking about here the last couple of weeks that they've had a lot of success with. And that is my recommendation once again, <laughs> because there's a 360 pound talented nose guard in the middle of their defense, whether they're in a four man front and even look, or he's odd, he's playing a head up nose. Like when he's healthy and rested and fresh, I mean, buckle up, boy. It is, it, it's, it's miserable in there for the interior. So yeah, as far as the run game, continue to attack the edges like you have been, right? You know, I, I think that 
the GT counter stuff's been good. The G lead. Now, Levy got to it in a couple different ways uh, against Iowa State, and I really liked it. To switch it up a little bit, a little bit with how he moved Braden Willis, but he got to the same concept and attacked the same area. So I, I think that that all is going to be carried over. I also think the Farouk stuff, right, going wide, the stuff we see to Drake Stoops, right, the the speed sweep stuff. Like I'd rather, I'd rather take our chances in space with their secondary coming up and having to make plays than to try to run it at Ika. I just, <laughs> I don't think that's a recipe for success, man. No. I, I really don't. But you know how much I believe in establishing the run. You you know how how pivotal I think that is when it comes to playing well offensively. I also think this could be kind of similar to what we saw uh, a couple weeks ago against Kansas. Let's air it out a little bit. Yeah. Right, let's let's make these guys in the back end of Baylor's defense cover, and because the the physicality of Baylor's defensive line is really impressive. But I don't think they are a good group of pass rushers. Uh, I mean, they want to they wanna knock the hell at you to the line of scrimmage, play the run, convert to pass rushers. They do not have a guy where you look at it and go, wow, look at how twitchy he is. They don't do that. They, they get pressure on quarterbacks, and I think it, it kind of tells you the story about not having that elite pass rusher. They get pressure by bringing pressure. Mm-hmm. Linebackers, they bring Walcott off off the slot quite a bit. You're seeing, you know, three man games up front, four man games, five man games with the linebackers involved. Guys twisting all over the place. Like that's how they generate pressure on the quarterback. If you can, if you can pass protect at a high level, and especially if you can anchor in the interior against Ika and keep that pocket, keep that depth nice and clean, then I really think Dylan Gabriel could have a big day. Yeah, I really do, but it, it all comes down to protection. And that goes back to what I said about all the different fronts, all the different pressures that they've got. Communication has to be on point. You have to identify, okay, who are the down line? Which linebackers are the offensive line working to? Who is the running back got? Right. And Dylan Gabriel's got to understand all of that. Where is he protected? Where is he vulnerable? That's all stuff that they got to digest. So I, I do think that you got to run the football, obviously, but this could be a game where they throw it around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I got no problem with that. Um, you know, and, and I think that we'll do a lot of attacking them probably laterally, you know, and, and, you know, we've seen Lebby do this. He likes to make them run sideline to sideline to start off drives and you get them worn down a little bit, and you can start going tempo. And with that big guy in the middle, you start making them run a little bit, wear them down, get them stuck in the same personnel grouping where they can't substitute, can't jog them off the field. You can take advantage of that. And a lot of that is, yeah, through the passing game. And you hit on a couple of plays downfield, you get that defensive line who's been rushing a couple of times, and now they've got to go down and with tempos start to defend the run. I think that's a, a good recipe. I, I will say, and this is something you talked about after the Iowa State game, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some more intermediate passing game. Like, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers and make these guys in the back end of Baylor's defense tackle. I, I think that that could be, hopefully, something we see a little more of 
this is something, and I've watched it over and over. We we have seen, and it's it's kind of across all college football, but especially people that are running a, a similar scheme to what Levy runs. The the wide receiver quick screen is, you know, it's become kind of a staple of the offense, right? Hey, throw it, get four or five easy yards on first or second down, and it's an efficient play. Buddy, <laughs> those wide receivers, if we're throwing those, you better buckle up. Because Baylor's defensive backs attack those quick screens with physicality unlike we've seen this season. It is a car crash at the line of scrimmage. It's like the guys do not care about their physical well-being. I don't know what they tell these guys. They are flying downhill trying to murder whoever is trying to block block them in the quick screen game. So, Braden Willis... Drake Stoops, Jalil Farouk, boys, strap it on tight, buckle up, and just be ready because those collisions, if we're going to throw those, those collisions are going to be violent. Yeah. Yeah, and you've heard me talk about it before, defending it. Like, you you punish that play. The, the blockers on the perimeter and the ball carrier, you punish it. You do not. You want those guys where they're saying, please stop running this play. We don't want any more. So they start to go down easy. The guys on the edge start to open up a little bit quicker to let those DBs through. Yeah, it that's that's tough. Now, and we've seen Lebby do this. You can take advantage of that uh, aggressiveness out there with some of the l- little double moves. You know, we've seen that. What Brain Willis caught one on on a little double move on a on a fake to the outside. Um, yeah, so you, you've got to block it up and you've got to slow them down with some, some other aggressive things that maybe, uh, as they're pouring downhill, you can counter that a little bit. Yeah. I, and we haven't seen a ton of this. We've barely seen any of it, but Oklahoma state had some success in just some traditional running back screen game. Mm -hmm. I caught Baylor and some of their pressure stuff threw some screens to Dom Richardson for some big gains. Maybe that's something we see because it's been shown that you you can get them on that. The the last thing I'll say that I'm looking for in this game, I I mentioned, hey, throw it around. Let let's make them cover. Baylor's secondary is not a bad group. I want to make that clear. This is going to be a game where you look at the wide receivers, you look at Mims, you you look at Farouk, you look at Weiss, you look at Willis. They're going to have to make competitive catches in tight windows in zone coverage. And that's where, like, you don't see a bunch of plays on tape where Baylor's just getting run by, right? You see quarterbacks having to make, I mean, go watch the West Virginia game. JT Daniels had some throws in that game where I was like, he's the greatest quarterback alive. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, just fitting it in to some tight windows and wide receivers going up and making plays. This The pass catchers for OU, they're going to have to make some big-time plays. Like, they have to win those battles. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got to make the plays when we have the ability to, you know, Mims seems to be better at home than he has been away from the Palace. He's got to bounce back with a big game. He's going to have to be money. Uh, You know, I I believe this is going to be an incredibly tight football game. I think it's going to be competitive to the very end. And we have to start making some connections on those deep balls when we have the chance. And 
just one more thing. We've talked a lot about when, when Brent Vittables got hired, we talked about how the culture was going to be different when it came to physicality. We need to see it. Yep. This is one of the games that you, we you're talking about because, and and they haven't beaten us every time, but they have taken the punch to Oklahoma over the last, you know, four or five years. They've won the physicality side of it for sure. So, this is one of those games where I'm looking at it. Okay, Jerry Schmidt back, Brent Venables, that grit, that mentality, that intensity. Let's let's see it reflected by the teams playing on the field. Yep, so, I agree. Uh, I'm telling you, Baylor is a violent, physical team. So I, I'm very interested to see if Oklahoma on both sides of the ball can go and out-hit them. This could be one where we look at <laughs> it's the end of the game. We're going, that was a bloodbath of a game. And that's yeah. that's kind of what you need to say about Oklahoma after this one. Like, they need to... They got to match that physicality because even though Baylor's record ain't great, they they still have that. They got yep. it. Yep. No, I agree. It's going to be, it's going to be smash mouth. It yep. is. All right. Let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys for your boldest predictions for OU Baylor. Uh, this first one comes from Clement Akufo. He says the defense continues to make improvement and matches Baylor's physicality at the line of scrimmage. The running game continues to be productive, and Marvin Mims bounces back with a two-touchdown game. Man, that would be nice. I mean, you mentioned yeah. it, but I, I'm i not overly concerned about Marvin Mims, right? I, I think the guy, he had a really bad day in Ames. I, I expect him to have that, for him to have moved past all of that and to have the type of impact we expect him to have in this football game. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, I think there'll be some opportunities there if we pay him off and he has a big day, has a couple of touchdowns. I, I, If Marvin Mims has two touchdowns, I see us winning the football game. If Marvin Mims doesn't have a touchdown, I, I think it's going to be difficult for us to win this game. I mean, it's just kind of like your best players are going to have to show up. And offensively, he is one of our best players. So – yeah, he's got to have a big day, and I think our defense can can still have a uh, a good day. I don't think we're going to shut Baylor out. I think they're going to get some. I think they're going to hit on some running plays. I think Shapin's going to make some things happen outside the pocket. You know, they're they're gonna they're gonna make some plays on us, but um, I that doesn't mean that we have to go out there and just open the gate and give up a ton of points. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and that kind of goes along with what Dale Broche said on Twitter. He says, I worry what happens to our D-line. This is the biggest test of the year for the defensive front. We'll be able to answer the question after this game if we have improved. I, I do think just from what Baylor does well, I think it makes all the sense in the world to play the four-man front to penetrate. Now, Brent Venables knows a lot more about defense than I do, okay? So whatever they end up going with, whatever they end up majoring with in this game, but I I don't think the three-man front and kind of reading and reacting is what you want to do against this, this offensive attack from Baylor. I think 
penetration. And this is a Baylor offensive line that has given up a bunch of negative plays in the run game. Right? Yeah. They, they've had some struggles at times. So I, I'm not the defense coordinator. It's not up to me, but that's what I would do, man. I would too. Uh, but I, that's what I would always do. You know me. Um, <laughs> the three-man front is you're basically set up to get everyone cut off uh, against this running game. Now, you can you can factor that stuff into the way that you fit stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I love the penetration because that's ultimately what kills this play is penetration. If you penetrate on the front side and, and they're not able to get any movement, and push you back and move that line of scrimmage, it's really hard to get that thing going on the front side. And obviously you got to be disciplined on the backside as well. But that's what that's what I would like to see. You know, and some change up isn't bad either to throw some different fronts at them, some different looks. Uh so I, my my hunch is that we'll see some four man front, but don't know. Yeah. Maybe some bear. A little bear, just jump in the five man. Let's go. I'd run it 85 snaps against Baylor is all I would run. You, you're a big bear front guy. That's you it, that, man. That is, that is your jam. All right, birthday shout-outs time. Happy fifth birthday to Greer Cooper. Happy sixth birthday to Jensen Heald. Happy 12th birthday to Brayson Burke. Happy 19th birthday to Kylie Burton. Happy 30th birthday to Kylie Watts. Happy 32nd birthday to Dr. Jay Jennings. Happy birthday, Doc. Happy 32nd birthday to Allie Ogden. Happy 37th birthday to Cody Cooper. Happy 59th birthday to Roger Wright. And happy 60th birthday to Kelly Reed. And one late addition. Happy birthday to OU alumni, Beverly Cobo. All nice. right. All right, let's preview some of the best games in week 10 of college football. But first, oh, wait, no, we've got David Smoke. I forgot. David Smoke, little more on this Baylor matchup. But first, the only place to talk. Gosh, it's a just train wreck right now. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. Uh, we're not, this is, you get, you get the real version of this podcast. People, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is loves travel stops. Loves has over 600 locations in 41 States offering 24 hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are loves has it fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including yes, my favorite Java. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids 
to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, let's talk a little more OU Baylor with our man, David Smoke. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that covers Baylor athletics closer than anyone. He is the king of Sikkim 365 radio and everything they've got going on on YouTube. David Smoke Smokey is in the house. What's going on, man? Man, guys, it's been a while. It's great to, to see both of you. And uh, woo, what a year in the Big 12. What a crazy right, right? year. Yeah, nuts. Absolutely nuts. Bunch Everything good? good? Football teams. Is this the, is this the, um, the deepest the conference has been in, in your memory from top to bottom? There's no easy weeks. I thought that maybe by about now or the next week or two, there might be one team that just because of attrition, you know, they just, uh, they're out of gas. There is no gimme. There are no gimmies. Um, what we saw, a couple of blowouts with K-State, Oklahoma State, and, of course, obviously Baylor at Tech and um, West Virginia a week ago at Lubbock. I, there are no gimmies. There's not a game on the schedule. And I know I got a light on. If it's okay, it's kind of shining. But there are no games that I see, none, that you can sit there and say, we know we win that game. No matter the logo, no matter who's hot, who's not, to me, it's wide open. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Now, this game between the Bears and the Sooners, not exactly what we were expecting for this one uh, coming into the year. Both sitting at five and three. Smokey, when you look at Baylor's season up to this point, what, what do you think? Uh, disappointing about what you expected? What What are your thoughts? If you would have asked me that a couple of weeks ago, and it still kind of carries over, it still would be thought of as disappointing because of who they had back on the offense and defensive line, who we thought would fill in, although for some dynamic players, uh, Petrie and Bernard and JT Woods, but you have your quarterback back. Yeah, there were concerns about the uh, weapons, no doubt, as far as the playmakers on either side of the ball. But the wins they've had, I mean, one was Kansas 28-3, and next thing you know, they're clawing to get you know, to seal that game up. So we saw a glimpse because Kansas is obviously, we know, a much better team, but without their quarterback. And then last week, I didn't know. I didn't expect them to go into Lubbock the way – there's no evidence they could – they won in Ames, but there's no evidence because of Morgantown that they could walk in there and handle it. And they beat – you know, they really did. They hammered Texas Tech. And we saw more of the 2021 uh, DNA with what they did on the offensive line and defensive lines. And they finally forced some turnovers. And um, it's still been a disappointment. And obviously there's four games to go. I thought, you know, Oklahoma State, that's two teams that you we know what goes on between them. And Oklahoma State came in and punched them in the nose. The Brigham Young loss now looks worse and worse and worse every week because they've gone into a free fall. And then you going into Morgantown's like Halloween. Uh, except it was early, and they've never done well there. It was kind of like they couldn't win in Stillwater for the longest of time. They couldn't win in Norman. They finally broke through. So, yeah, still disappointing, but at least the pulse of what we saw in Lubbock, maybe they have, like maybe Oklahoma has the last couple of weeks, maybe they've turned the corner. 
the last last two games, Baylor finally got that that running game going, like like we're used to seeing from a year ago. Uh, really firing on all cylinders there. Reese is what probably had his two best games of the season back to back. What's been the difference there? Well, they got Khalil Keith back, who's one of the returning starters from last year, the right tackle. He had been kind of out um, from an off, you know, he, I mean, he hadn't played. So they got him back. Uh, Jacob Gall, the center, was playing well. Galvin, I think you could probably say he was playing okay, but Oklahoma State came right after them and sort of Brigham Young and created some problems. Richard Reese, I just talked to his high school coach in a high school podcast I do. That guy's never stopped playing football. He played, he was a starting running back in high school as a freshman, and he's given them, thank goodness, because Tay McWilliams went out. That was going to be their, that was going to be not Abram Smith, but that was going to be the guy that pounded the football. And he got knocked out against Brigham Young and hasn't been back. Squirrel Williams has never, you know, the best availability. You guys played the game is your availability. And, and he has, he just, Every time you see a sneak peek from him and by the end of the game, he's out and he's out. He's been trying to get back. If it wasn't for Richard Reese, guys, I don't know. I mean, I don't, do they get another linebacker and bring him over that played high school football at running back? He has been really phenomenal, if you think about it, as a true freshman in that offense. I just think that they getting Khalil Keith back at offensive line to be a part of the starter made him deeper and made him better as starters. The defensive line finally got after a quarterback. They haven't, they hadn't been getting to the quarterback. And one of the reasons last year they were able to do that was because Petrie and Bernard, when they when they got the green light to go, or even if they didn't, they were not only four, three, something, 40 guys, they were fifth-year seniors, experienced, and they probably knew the plays before they even snapped the ball, which made them even faster and instinctive. That was just dynamic. And it wasn't so much that the front line didn't get pressure, the ends. Those two guys are the ones that really just just, just, just broke down any kind of pass protection because of what they could bring from the linebacker and star position. What, what have you thought of the way that Blake Shapin has played? There have been times which he has been not as good as he was against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game because that's one of those will always be maybe his best half of football ever. You hope it's not. He has not protected the football. That's not, you know, if I would have told you guys, or if I would have said Blake Shape is going to turn the football over because he's not going to protect the football, I think we would have thought it was from him trying to throw a ball through a keyhole as far as coverage. And that mentality that he can make every single throw, the, the confidence of a quarterback that they can do that. But it's been different. There's been a pick or two, but it's been the fumbles, the fumble against West Virginia. They're they're in control of that game and already inside West Virginia territory, about to maybe put the hammer on them. And he gets kind of his arm. You got to protect the football. And, and a great defensive play that just kind of jostled his arm. There you go. Fumble return for a touchdown. In that same game, they had the block two point in, or extra point for two points. They've had some of that happen to them. Shape in there. And then let's not forget against Kansas is 28 to three, I think. And he does it again, just drops it. KU runs it back about 50 yards and they score soon after that. And here you go. And that's kind of been their story. And he has been good. He's been able to, to throw it around. Young receivers haven't helped. But he's starting to develop a little bit of that. Then he gets Monterey Baldwin involved, who was a star in the Sugar Bowl. And then he goes down. He's supposed to be back, I think, this week. So I think that that 
was understandable, but him protecting the ball in the pocket has cost them one game and and maybe even almost cost them the game against Kansas, which would have then been a nightmare and completely just uh, the dam breaks. If you look back at last year's team, you know, Bohannon had some limitations for sure, but the thing that he did was take care of the football. Is anyone looking back at that that situation and, and wishing maybe it was handled differently? No, 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 because I, I, I first of all, Gary, and you guys know this because I talked to you about last year, what a great teammate. What a, And I, that means it's like saying, oh, that team played so hard. It means they're usually not very good. You know, you got to, like, they play hard. Man, they're so, they play so hard. With Bohannon, he played hard. He was the leader on it, no doubt, the leader. Shapin's kind of taken on that role too. Different mentality. Gary was always in every single basically position meeting. Just, you know, but he also needed to do that. He wasn't going to throw the ball around a lot. Not that he didn't have some games where he threw the ball well, but yeah, he had the bad pick Bohannon against TCU last year that ended that game. Uh, threw a pick against in, in the Sugar Bowl too. He was limited. But as far as the personality of a team, he was for the wide zone last year when they could punch you in the mouth with Abram Smith and then him too. Yeah, Shapin's not going to do that. But Shapin can give you a chance if you fall behind to bring you back or open up the offense. If Shapin would have been the quarterback all of last year, I don't think their record's any better. I still think 12-2 and two was just the ceiling. It was incredible. But I think that you would have seen them with the receivers he had last year, Tyquan Thornton. You know, R.J. Sneed transferred to Colorado and nothing's happened there. But, yeah, it, he doesn't have the weapons. He's been good. I think what he's learned is I think he's growing up that he needs to be – not. I don't want to use that bus driver term. He's not a bus driver. He's a Ferrari-type guy. But I think he's kind of, you know, juggled that to try to become a little bit more let's use Richard Reese and what we do. This is what we do. And we'll open up some play action as he starts to get more and more – I guess, comfortable with the receivers he has who are young. Looking looking at the defense, Smokey, what do you see as the strengths of this defense? And with what you've seen, what do you see as the weaknesses of this oh, defense? The, the secondary has been at times a mess. Uh, you, you Again, it's like the Petrie-Bernard thing. They put pressure on the quarterback that allowed the guys up front to also get an opportunity. They haven't been putting pressure on the quarterback. And then you have a young secondary. There's a couple of, like Al Walcott, he's the one who had the pick six against Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. They tried to move him to that Jay and Petrie position, bigger. Maybe he at times has been okay, but that then weakened another position. The secondary with a couple of guys, they have a couple of guys that are um, have been around a while. But when you look, if the ball was in the air and JT Woods was within 10 or 15 yards of the play, he's going to pick it off. They lost a guy that never got a lot of credit, Raleigh Tejada, who got an invite to, I, I think, uh, uh, the Packers camp, who played like 40-plus starts. He was, he was uh, at times, picked on, but he was he's a baller. He wasn't an elite player, but he played 40-something games at, at, at corner. And they lost a couple others around the way, but – the secondary, that that was a feeding frenzy at Lubbock. That, they had not been sacking the quarterback. They got six of those. They had eight tackles for losses. They had five interceptions. Now, one of them was the, my God, the gift from Shuck that was, a you know, for feel bad for him. He just came off the bench, hadn't played. That, that was the saddest throw I've seen all oh, year because yeah. the guys, his throwing arms messed up clearly. It was like a lollipop picks. I've never seen 
a pick six that made me that sad for a player, Smokey. You, you know what it reminded me of, and I'm not trying to pick on him, but it reminded me of a pitcher who had been elite, and, and Shuck was pretty good, but he was coming back or he was getting older, and he just didn't have it anymore. And then all of a sudden, that 95, and these days, 100-mile-an-hour fastball was like 92 and just very hittable. I hated that. It was a huge it, – it ended the game. Ended the game because they thought, okay, maybe – Maybe he brings in some sort of miracle comeback and we throws. That was, oh, that was like what? This is way too much of an analogy. That's like watching uh, Willie Mays in center field drop a fly ball. You know, that kind of moment like, oh, really? And maybe after another week of practice, he gets back into a rhythm. You hope so because TCU is going to be hard to beat. But that was, that was shocking. The other picks were guys making plays, you know, coverage, a little pressure, a little bit of inexperience from Baron Morton, who's going to be a, a fantastic player. But, yeah, the secondary, without question, there has been disappointment in the fact that there wasn't much of a pass rush, but maybe, again, Oklahoma will have something to say about that, maybe they got juiced up a little bit and that game carries them to the next level. But whether it's from one week to the next, we don't know. What do you think is the most critical thing? If Baylor's going to come in, beat Oklahoma, who's who's – finally starting to play some better football, uh, you know, road game. What do they have to do in order to win this thing? What they did in Lubbock, and I'm not saying they could expect five picks against Gil Dylan Gabriel. I'm not saying they'll be able to have, what, six sacks, eight TFLs. I mean, that's a that's a huge game. You see, that's just a big deal. Obviously, they got to try to be careful by putting pressure on Gabriel but not letting him – do things with his legs. And I don't know if that's changed a little bit since he went out because he got hurt doing that. Um, they had not been winning the turnover battle. I think anytime you're on the road, you guys played the game. I just like yap about it. But if you could go on the road and establish your run game and win the turnover battle, I think you win the game. Because if you establish a run game, that will open up a few opportunities in the secondary for you to maybe hit. I'm not talking about 50-yard, you know, deep touchdowns, but maybe that allows you to – I'll tell you what I saw last week, and I don't mean to change, but I saw Shapin run a little bit more. And now he drives people crazy because he slides sometimes right before a first down. And it's instead of it's third and – instead of first down, it's third and two. And then he's done that a little bit this year. Again, protecting himself. The first series, right? Yeah, yes, he did. Yeah. yeah, I wrote that down. Learn like RG three never learned how to slide. Even when he was in the NFL, it may have cost him his career. But yeah. I and I, I get where they do it now, and it's pretty fair that where they start the slide, not where they hit the 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 the, the actual turf. And that Shapin's kind of uh, he played baseball, so he should he should know that you're not at second base if you slide and it stops two feet before you get to the bag. That's I did see him pick that up a little bit after he learned from that one. So maybe he escapes. Gabriel's the better runner. Shapin can drive you crazy like early Charlie Brewer did. Brewer even better when he'd pick up those 8 to 12 yards on a third down and seven or something like that, extend the drive and drive you crazy. They got to win the turnover battle again. They have to be able to run the football. Uh, Shapin can air it out if he has to, but I think that obviously those to me are two very fundamental things of any football game, really. Smokey, you're the man. Uh, you guys do an awesome job over there Thank at you. Sikkim 365. All the best to you and your crew there, and we'll see you on Saturday, man. Hey, what is if you don't mind me, what has been 
now that Oklahoma's won a couple of games, it was the bye week, I think. Is, is everything kind of – everyone kind of picking up the pace and thinking, okay, this thing's turning around? I would say cautious, cautious optimism. Yeah. for yeah. The, Especially for the defense, right? You know, a right. a a good performance, but a good performance against a bad Iowa State offense, yeah. right? So I yeah. think – and Ted and I talked about this earlier – I think this is a great measuring stick game for this football mm-hmm. team to see where they're at and the progress that they've made this season. It, I think this is a really important game for Oklahoma and, and for Brent Venables and kind of how this season is going to be remembered, if that makes sense. You know, one of the things, both of you, I you know, Baylor and Kansas, although you wouldn't think of it that way, but Baylor-Kansas was kind of like an elimination game as far as the conference. And then Baylor-Tech was kind of like, you lose that, you're out of at least playing for the title. That doesn't mean you're going to if you do win because there's still a long way to go. Baylor has at OU, home against Kansas State and that battering ram, and then home against TCU and that explosive thoroughbreds, and then at Texas. So, God. Yeah. I, so. I know, I know. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's hard not to look at the logos. It's Oklahoma, it, and we do that all the time. You guys played there, but we, we do that all the time. So they've got their toughest part of their schedule coming up. And fortunately for them, they are at least back above water. They were treading water. Now their heads are bobbing. They're done. They're not done yet. They got to get a win. And 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 uh, never thought that that. Well, they got to get a win to make sure they go to a bowl game. That was the discussion before Kansas because they were three and three, and you're like, man. And that loss to West Virginia. Ugh! You could see Brigham Young early because their quality at the time, and then they've, and then Oklahoma State, but. God, that loss to West Virginia might come back to haunt them. We'll see. Yeah. Yep. All right, Smokey. We'll All see right, you buddy. Saturday, man. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you, guys. Love what you do. Have a great day. There are pretty much no people that cover Baylor closer than Smokey. Smoke Show is uh, – he's the best, man. Been doing it a long time down there. He's got it. He's got it wrapped down. Good stuff. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's preview some of the best games of Week 10 in college football. But first, it's football time in Oklahoma, people, and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that's already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer, and they're not just for tailgating either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. They've got some new flavors. They've got an all-new can. You want to find a place near you that has clubbies, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention, business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. College football roundup, week 10, Mm. number one, Tennessee, 
at Ooh. number three, Georgia, 230 on CBS. Georgia is currently an eight-and-a-half-point favorite there at Sanford Stadium, which I'm sure will be rocking for this game. But, Ted, Josh Heupel has to be furious with the college football playoff committee. I mean, really? Really, you're going to rank us, not only are you going to rank us one, but you're going to put Georgia at three, and you're going to give Kirby Smart that ammunition before this game. He's got to be so pissed. Yeah. I. That's It's so weird to me. I don't understand. I feel like all of these things are, like, purposeful. I don't know. Um, whatever. I like Tennessee's chances to go in there and beat Georgia. Uh, I'm picking them to go in there and beat Georgia. Uh, I, I, you know, if they play the game 10 times there, does Tennessee win the majority of those? Maybe not, probably not. But I think that they've got the momentum that they're building, what they're doing out there is so much fun. They've got so much energy behind them, fan base within that team, within that coaching staff. I, I think they just continue to ride that wave of momentum. And it's not like that's a, that's all you're taking. This is a legitimate offense. Number one offense in the country, right? I think uh, they've been right there. Uh, quarterback play has been excellent. His quarterback rating takes care of the football. They run it really well. Defensively, um, they don't get enough credit for what they've done on the defensive side. They're a pretty solid unit. They're physical. They tackle well. I'm taking Tennessee to win the game. Ooh, I like that. Now, I I do think this game being in Athens, I mean, it changes things. But ten Tennessee has they've certainly played in some big environments this year. There's no doubt. But you think of the biggest one they played in, it was it was in Knoxville, right yep. at Neyland. So this is going to be, I mean, it's going to be the most hostile environment they played in all season long. Uh, that place is going to be breathing fire. This is what we were we we've been hoping for, man. Yep. That Tennessee offense with Hendon Hooker and, and all those weapons against this Georgia defense. And I know it's not Georgia's defense from last season, but it's still damn good. Now, Georgia, they did get some bad news defensively. Nolan Smith, who is an absolute dude for them, is going to be out the rest of the season. So clearly not playing in this football game. But maybe the number one question in this game for me is will Georgia Cover Jalen Hyatt, <laughs> or will <laughs> we find? Will he find himself wide open again for a couple more touchdown uh, touchdowns? I I think that they will cover him. So we'll see if Tennessee, if that wide receiver core can make some more competitive plays, uh, because I think the coverage is going to be a little more tight in this football game. I, I know that we're all excited about Hendon Hooker, but you're right, man. They it will be it will be a, a key for Georgia's defense to stop the run again because Tennessee does a really good job of spreading you out to run it. Mm-hmm. And if they, they can shut that down, then all of a sudden that this game becomes very, very interesting. I do think Georgia's going to be successful running the football with all that power run game that they've got. Uh, Stetson Bennett, can Tennessee make them uncomfortable? Will Stetson Bennett make some mistakes? He's been really good this year. He's been, uh, I mean, he has been about as reliable as you'll find in the country at, at the quarterback position. But 
if Tennessee can force someone else besides Brock Bowers to make some big plays at this game, they'll be in good shape. But I'm really hoping – I know some people tend to think it's going to be a little lower scoring. I hope it goes the complete opposite way. I hope it's a shootout for the ages, and this game's played in the 40s or 50s just like Alabama-Tennessee was played. And if it is played that style, I think that favors Tennessee. But I'm going to take Georgia to win the game. At home, I would never lay the eight and a half, though. That's with how close I think these two teams are. I just, I think that's entirely too many points. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I hope it's a, a bit of a shootout too. If, if Tennessee can kind of lure their, them into that type of, uh, of game, and if they find some things, it's like as they start to hit you on some big plays. You know, it, it happens to defenses that aren't good, and it happens to defenses that are good. As things break down, everyone starts to f- try to do more than what they're supposed to, and it just falls apart on you. And uh, that's what Tennessee's going to be trying to do to them. Got to block them up up front, and if they can get that run game going. I think you, they can turn it into that type of game. Yeah, but it's the game of the year, and you know, can't wait to watch that one on the old DVR. <laughs> that's going to be yep. uh, that's going to be one hell of a football game. Okay, next game. Another SEC marquee matchup. Number 6 Alabama heads to Baton Rouge to take on number 10 LSU. This game's going to be 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. Bama currently a 13 and a half point road favorite. Hey Ted, Brian Kelly he he he's breaking out all the stops. He buttered up Nick Saban, wished him a happy birthday earlier in the week. But this is a night game in Death Valley that certainly gives LSU an advantage. Uh, Bama now they have played in some hostile environments right this season. Let's make no mistake about that. They'll be as as comfortable as a team can be in that setting. But for me, it all comes down to what LSU gets from Jaden Daniels. These last couple games, as they've looked like a really improved football team, he's been awesome. And he's going to have to be phenomenal for them to win this football game. And I that puts a lot of pressure on him, though, man. Yeah, it does. I I think LSU is one, and I know they're, they're ranked number 10. Which was they, shocking. I know. But they are one of the least talked about teams in the country with how good they're playing right now it is a solid, super talented football team. Um, I'll take Alabama to win, but I'll take LSU to cover. And yeah. I think they got a, they, it would not shock me at all. If LSU wins this football game, Alabama just, they have not been what we've expected them to be this year. We keep saying, oh, well, they're, you know, they're going to get it together at some point. If they have, they win an extremely tight game. If they haven't gotten it together, they lose. I mean, that's just, that's how LSU is right now. And like you said, that place, it's going to be an insane atmosphere like it always is at night. Um, Alabama better get ready. They better get ready. They're not, LSU's not going to be scared. And they're going to fight them tooth and nail. I think it's going to be an incredibly tight football game. Yeah, and I am I'm curious to see how LSU can run the football against Alabama. When you think about the strengths and weaknesses of that defense, I think that 
you know, stopping the run has not been a strength of theirs. And with what Jaden Daniels can do with his legs, but that adds a very difficult element to the run game for Alabama to defend. But ultimately, the question for me is, when you look at LSU's offense, are they capable of stressing Bama's defense the way that Tennessee did? They certainly, they got the wide receivers, man. I mean, they got they got some dudes at wide receiver. But can Jaden Daniels make the throws? Uh, can they protect him with all those guys coming off the edge for Bama? If they can, LSU certainly has the tools to have a big day offensively. But I, I just, I wonder how they're going to approach this game. Are they looking at it going, hey, let's keep it on the ground. Let's bleed some clock. Or they said, hey, let's spread them out. Let's try to do what Tennessee did to them and, and see if we can do it at that high of a level. But certainly the same components are there, right? Mobile quarterback that's really talented, uh, incredibly talented wide receiver core. Uh, maybe it comes down to how the offensive line plays for, for LSU, but I, for for some weird reason, like I'm more intrigued by this game than I am by Georgia Tennessee. I don't know; it's strange. Yeah. yeah, because there's there's some unknown there with LSU. It's like, do we believe in this? Are they they as good as they've looked here recently? And you know, I all defenses that are as good as what Alabama has been, as good as what Georgia has been. Whenever you throw a quarterback that can run around into the mix, it can really screw things up. And uh, Daniels can be that guy. And as soon as you start to to loosen the defense up by running it around with your quarterback, scrambling, making some plays, that's whenever the running game starts to happen. The last thing any defense wants to do is chase a quarterback around for 10 seconds of play. It's miserable. So I I don't know. We'll see. I uh, I think it's – Definitely an LSU cover, in my opinion. Could be wrong, uh, and it wouldn't shock me if they won it. I, I will say, Bryce Young, couple weeks, get a little healthier. Would not be surprised if he looks amazing in this game. And Well, it's time. It, it, you know, it's week 10. I, if Bama's going to beat Bama, I, like they were picked before the season, it's time to start showing up. Yeah. And Jameer Gibbs, Whew. maybe he's he's top five for me when it comes to fun players to watch in college football. Like that dude is electric. So if if Bryce Young comes out there slinging it and Jameer Gibbs is doing his thing and he's finding some space against that LSU defense, maybe uh maybe Bama rolls, but that that is a massive spread for the circumstances, you know. Death Valley at night. That place yeah. is going to be insane. So yeah, I'd I'd take the points and feel fine about that. But I'm pumped for that football game. Who who would you take, uh, Jameer Gibbs or Bijan Robinson? That's tough because Gibbs appears to catch the ball really really well out of the backfield. And I he he looks bigger and more physical too, right? Yeah, I, I mean I don't think you can go wrong with both. And maybe I'm being Maybe I'm kind of leaning into the SEC bias a little bit. I think I might take Gibbs. I I would, but I don't know. They're, I want a pass pro. Yeah, I want a pass pro highlight reel of both, and that's how I'll make my decision. 
<laughs> Maybe it doesn't exist. Yeah. All right. Last game we're going to talk about somehow, some way, number 24, Texas. Uh, I, I, what? Let's not even spend time on it. Who cares? Is go is traveling to number thirteen Kansas State. This game will be six p.m. on FS1. Somehow, some way, Texas is a two and a half point favorite in Manhattan. Ted, you look at this line, and I know it's not all about betting lines. I feel like they're begging everyone under the sun to take Kansas State because you go, you see it, and you go, "Do I trust Texas?" to go play well in Manhattan, Kansas against a very solid Kansas State team. Of course I do. I, I don't. Of course I don't trust Texas to go and do that. But here we are. Texas is somehow in the top 25 and somehow favored on the road against Kansas State, who's looked. No, I mean, they just beat the absolute hell out of Oklahoma State. So make it make sense, man. Help. Help me. I thought it was dumb when Texas was a road favorite against Oklahoma State. Turns out it was. I think it's dumb that they're even even more ridiculous that they're a road favorite against Kansas State. Um, you know, one of the things going into that Stillwater game is it was Quinn Ewers' first true road game as a starting quarterback. Big environment. He was awful. This situation is going to be just as bad, maybe even louder and more intense of an environment at Kansas State. And Kansas State is a smarter, more physical, more disciplined, better all-around football team than Oklahoma State is. So how Texas is favored, I have no idea. I would be... Shocked, frankly, if they went and beat Kansas State. I, I'm i with you now. You're going to love this. Guess who had a one-on-one 16-minute interview with Will Howard this week? <laughs> wow. Well, how'd that go? It it went great. I buttered him up before I told him that I've been telling, him what, telling everyone <laughs> he should move to tight end. I told him, though. We addressed it. But, yeah, it, it, was, inter- it, it was really interesting to hear him talk about how getting thrown in the fire his first two years and his struggles in a weird way had prepared him and helped him for the moment and for the opportunity he's got right now. It was, it was actually, it was really cool to hear his outlook and kind of him talk about that experience. Tell you right now, that's a confident guy, confident guy. That's got the support of his teammates. And I, I don't know, exactly how Chris Kleiman, who I also talked to this week, I, I straight up asked him, hey, who are you starting at quarterback? He said, Gabe, yeah, you know I can't tell you that. Come on. <laughs> Which I was like, I know you can't, but I got to ask. So I don't know exactly how they're going to handle that situation if Martinez is healthier. I, I think you got to roll with Will Howard with how he's opened up the passing game. But man, I, I, I just don't trust Quinn Ewers. I don't, I don't trust Quinn Ewers against that defense for Kansas State, who is rock solid, who is an underappreciated defense in college football. With what I've seen from him in the last two games, throwing the football, and we can talk about wind and all that. I, he's been bad, man. 
And Kansas State isn't exactly a defense that you get right against. So I know they've had two weeks to prepare, but I just, I'm taking Kansas State at home, especially if you're giving me points. Are you kidding me? Like, I just, I do not understand why people still trust Texas. I know that they've gotten up big in games. Maybe that's it. Like they've had some really impressive losses where they were up big. I Maybe that is it. But I, I think Kansas State's going to control this football game. I don't know what I'm missing. I've, you know, I've seen both teams play. Both teams play quite a bit. Seen them up close and personal. I I see no no metric, no side of the ball. Tell me where Texas is better than Kansas State. I Texas has a good running game, and Bijan Robinson is going to make some plays. Yeah, you know, I'm fine with that. I get it, um, but I I really like Kansas State's defensive line and linebackers. Um, Quinn Ewers in the passing game, like they've got some good. Uh, wide receivers there's no doubt about it he's coming off of his worst performance he's going on the road again against the defense that is uh, way better than what Oklahoma State is I just I, I don't see it offensively with for Kansas State Deuce Vaughn I expect him to have a huge day special teams I, I gave Kansas State the win on special teams uh, for this game in the preseason. I, it, they're going to win special teams. They'll probably have a couple of explosive plays in special teams somehow. I don't see it. Now, if Texas shows up and you get I, the best of everything that they have to offer offensively, defensively, they don't make any mistakes. Like All of their players make great plays and you, you get – you squeeze every ounce out of their roster. Yeah, they should win this game, but that doesn't happen. It has the only time it's happened for them this year has been whenever Oklahoma didn't have their quarterback on the field. Right, that's the only time it's happened. So, I it's Kansas State, and I don't even have to think about it for a second. I, I will say, Sark with two weeks in the lab to dial some things up. Like they're going to, they're going to have some good concepts. He's got a great offense. Sark yes. has designed a, an excellent offense. There's no but, doubt. But I have my doubts, like some serious doubts about Quinn Ewers. I, I really do. And I don't know why I'm the only one talking about it. I, I mean, he was really bad against Iowa state and he was even worse against Oklahoma state. So I, I don't know, but if he doesn't play well, Kansas State's going to roll him, man. I mean, absolutely roll him. Now, I will say, Deuce Vaughn, Bijan Robinson, you talk about a running back matchup that's as good as you're going to find in college football. That's going to be fun. Both of those guys are going to have huge impacts on this game. I I feel like I know what I'm getting from Kansas State. And I don't know. Like, it's a mystery what I'm going to get from Texas. In Manhattan, that place is going to be nuts. I I just don't get it. Give me Kansas State. 
I, I just can't. Like Texas, I am more than happy for them to prove me wrong. But I can't say, you know what? I trust that football team to go beat a really solid team on their own field. I just, no way. There's no way. I don't, I don't think so either. And maybe, you know, maybe this is like, we're all going to feel really dumb after this Kansas state as, as solid as they typically are, has been prone to like weird one-off, like where the hell did that come from? Poor performances. It's been a while since we've seen one of those, but they have had them. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't see it. I, if we get if we get Will Howard from last year and the year before that, well, Texas could win. Texas State could go win uh, <laughs> against that Will Howard. But if we get the Will Howard that we've seen the last two weeks, Texas not only loses the game but loses handily. Yeah, we'll see, man. It's a it's a very interesting game when it comes to how the Big Twelve could end up shaking out. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store, and buy some Balcones products. You've got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012. Balcony Single Malt won the best in glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcony's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well... I went with the NFL trade deadline deal. Nice. Am I crazy, or is this the uh, the most active? You remember the NFL trade deadline being? It, it feels quiet like during the season, right? Yeah, it feels like people have now. Not everyone is saying f them picks like the Rams, but it feels like people maybe not caring as much about the draft picks, like more willing to get proven commodities you know when you're talking about players instead i don't know but it was fun i really enjoyed it yeah and just for people that haven't heard or, or paid attention here's some of the deals that uh that went down um christian mccaffrey obviously uh from carolina to san francisco 
James Robinson from Jaguars to the Jets, uh, Robert Quinn uh, from the uh, the uh, Bears to the Eagles, Kadarius Tony from the Giants to the Chiefs, Roquan Smith from the Bears to the Ravens, which is awesome for the Ravens. That dude is a stud. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson tied in for the uh, the Lions is going to the Vikings in division. Chase, I know Chase Claypool from the Steelers to the Bears, Bradley Chubb from the Broncos to the uh, the Dolphins, and uh, Jeff Wilson running back for the 49ers to the Dolphins, Calvin Ridley from the Falcons to the team that he suspended for uh, betting against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is incredible. It was awesome, man. There was a lot of moving parts, and I think a lot of those have a chance to, you know, have something down the have something down the stretch to do with how these teams uh, fight and, and maybe doing the playoffs. I I thought it was pretty interesting. It's like Denver paid all that money for Russell Wilson, and they kind of offload Chubb to the Dolphins. The Dolphins feel like they see like an opportunity to make a run. And the Broncos like, ah, we're good. It ain't yeah. our year. <laughs> well, and Benito's done a pretty good job getting to the quarterback. So, yeah, right. Um, he's a lot cheaper. So, yeah, I I was uh I was fascinated with that, and I've always liked to see some movement there. It kind of makes things interesting. It's hard though to come into a. It's so different than any other sport to show up and learn an entire new language, new defense, new offense. Now, some of those positions like running back, it's, you know, a little less involved, but still interesting. Yeah. I mean, you think about a guy like Roquan Smith. Hey, you've been playing inside backer in this defense. Just just do it in a completely different defense. It's not that hard, man. Yeah, all you do is make all of the calls, all the adjustments, and and get everyone lined up every snap. Can't be that big of a deal. Uh, by the way, games at uh, at one o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> Figure it out, Roquan. We'll see you out there on the field. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? Well, I didn't know who to actually state as my loser, but TCU being number seven, it that's a that's a that's a shame. Like. So is TCU the loser or is the college football playoff committee the loser? Like however you want to to phrase that, but I was shocked by that. I didn't I, think that I thought they would be number five, should be number four. I I predicted that they would be behind Michigan and Alabama and Clemson on my radio show. And the people I was doing the show with, they were like, you're crazy. I was like, I'm not crazy. The committee loves Alabama. And I get it. Like, there is not a more accomplished program. Like, I get it. The Clemson, wh- what? I mean, that's that was the one that shocked me. It was like, Michigan not in the top four. Clemson is. That is where it, it made me it made me wonder if the committee has watched Clemson this season or they just looked at the record and they're like, Oh, they got a bunch of good players. Yeah. They're in, they're undefeated because it has been been up and down. Yeah. It ain't the resume. It ain't close to what TCU's done for Clemson. 
but that's that's the thing about the college football playoff committee is they they decide i'm convinced they do this they decide who they want at the top and then they fill teams in at the bottom that justify who they have at the top it's like clemson do do i think wake forest should be a top 25 team Eh, but they're checking in at 21 like nc state they don't have their quarterback. They're the 22nd best team in the country without Devin Leary. I yep. mean, are we serious? So you look at some of these wins that Clemson has that, you know, we necessarily don't think of as that impressive, you know, Syracuse. I, I And I know that I, I wonder how many, how many people know that Syracuse's quarterback got hurt in that game. Like I just, I don't know, man. I, how many people know? Or I guess that, that was the Notre Dame game, but I just. How many people know that, that Clemson's quarterback got benched in that game? Yeah. And how many people know that Syracuse is ranked number 20 and has no clue how to handle the end of a football game? You know? It's like... <laughs> That's where I, I think that they they constructed the back end of the rankings to justify them yeah. having Clemson at four. Let, here's, here's our answer. Let's arrange the evidence to prove our case. Yes. I, that's, that's what it feels like to me. I, I will say this TCU. They still have, and I know there's a lot of talk about their remaining schedule. I don't care if you go undefeated and you win the big 12, you're in, they will, because they do not want to deal with the shitstorm if they were keeping a you know undefeated power five champion out. But they gotta go undefeated. It's been proven already. Yep. It's been proven. You, that you know will? where you stand. I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. Yeah. I don't know who who's gonna knock them off. I know it won't be Texas. Other than that, I don't know. I'm with you. All right. But man, that people are like, who cares about the CFP rankings? It's fun to talk about. It's fun to debate. Uh, I mean, it just, it is. So yeah, when yeah, that, uh, I, I don't really care about anything. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. like, I care about like a few things in life. That's really it. But I'll talk about this. It's entertainment, man. Let's go. I'm with you. All right. For my winner of the week, thought about going with the Oklahoma city thunder. Went to the Thunder Magic game on Tuesday night. The comeback kids, baby. Down 15 there. Came storming back. Shea Gilgis Alexander continues to be that dude. I mean, 34 and 6. My scoring title prediction, not looking so stupid, huh? No, it's huh? pretty good. What, he had 38 in the last game and then uh, and then 34 now? Yeah, I think pretty he's good. checking in currently. Is sixth leading scorer. In the nice. National Basketball Association, also defending at a higher level. Like he's playing really good ball and Poku. Poku contributing. Dead blocking shots, rebounding, scoring the basketball around the rim, hitting some threes. I love it. I love it. I you I was out on him on back end, baby. Come on, Poku. Uh, I was so out. You made a declaration the other day that he is not an NBA basketball player. It's time to move but on. It, my hope is that he continues this. 
because it's been it really it's been really positive these last couple games. Uh, your man Dort back to defending at a high level. Let's go. He put Paolo like that first half when Dort was guarding Paolo Bencaro. Nothing. I mean, he was in the Dortcher chamber for sure. But all it takes is one of the best players in the league to talk about how good of a defender you are to say, oh yeah, I'll start doing that again. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm still a little worried, and I know it's his first game back from the ankle. Giddy just looks like he's in a funk, man. He, he's a uh, he's a after after New Year guy. Yeah, and maybe that's it. But uh, I mean, Dagnalt sat him. He didn't finish the game. He was sitting on the bench. He had a sad look on his face. I was I was sad for him. But he he is his handle is off. Like he's not playing with the same. He I always liked last year. He kind of played with a little attitude, a little chip on his shoulder, a little pissed off. I haven't seen that from him. It's yeah, it's strange. He's he's worried about the college football season. He saw Oklahoma <laughs> drop those three losses. It took all his his attention away from preparing for the season. Don't worry. He's an after New Year's guy. It's all right. it's it's going to be like afterburners for this team. Uh, you know, whenever it, he but... whenever he starts to kick in and roll around, then they're going to really look good. Yeah, but the Thunder have won four in a row and are above five hundred for the first time since January tenth of twenty twenty one. Let's go. Watching them win basketball games is fun. I enjoy it. Makes me it makes me happy. Hey, I'll tell you, I I saw the highlights last night and I was like, is it is it time to start watching them again? Am I gonna do this? Is this gonna happen? SGA is worth the watch, man. Yeah. He's he's playing at a really high he he should be an all-star this year. If he's not, we riot. Okay. I also thought about going with the Philadelphia Phillies as my winner of the week. They put the smackdown on the Astros in game three of the World Series. And it seemed like they handled that game being delayed today just fine. That game was over as soon as Harper hit that home run in the first. Like first World Series game in Philly in a long time. Your franchise player hits one to the moon to start. It was over. I mean, it well, was it's over. just exploded. That was that was really cool. Yeah. And felt bad for it. Was it McCullers? By the way. I don't think anyone does a better job as an analyst than John Smoltz with baseball. I feel like I'm just learning the entire broadcast. He's incredible, but if they knew if he was tipping his pitches, my gut maybe because Philly was hitting bombs, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were. And it would be weird that you would make it that far through a season and no one like picked up on you tipping pitch. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I don't know, but that was wild. That was a wild atmosphere. I have a feeling this is going to be a uh, it's going to be a good World Series. Yeah, but my winner of the week because fired Power Five college football coach is the best job in the world. Brian Harson, winner of the week. There is no better gig on planet Earth than buyout college football coach. It was a weird hire to begin with. Always seems like a strange fit. Uh, they tried, they tried their coup, didn't work as he said, <laughs> but pretty much a disaster. Went nine and 12, uh, Auburn now owes him 15 and a half million dollars. And 50% of that is due within the next 30 days. Woo. Not a bad time to be Brian Harson. He's probably like, thank God I get to get out of here. Man's getting paid and he gets out yeah. of that situation, which clearly he was 
he was not wanted. So they're hiring a new athletic director, or they hired a new athletic director, poached the guy from Mississippi State, and Brian Harson is free, and he's got fifteen and a half million. Ted, not too bad. Free, he's got fifteen and a half million bucks. He's going to take the the rest of this season off. Uh, maybe do a vacation in the Mediterranean. I'm not sure, but he'll be back in probably be what offensive analyst for the university of Oklahoma next spring. Yeah. Or he may be the head coach of like Arizona state or something yeah. like that. Like get back towards that area of the country. Cause he was, he was good at Boise, but we'll see who wants that job at Auburn. Uh, some uh, names that we're it's seeing. The, it's going to be Deion Sanders. You think Yeah, that'd be awesome. 100%. I'm in hundred percent. Deion Sanders, uh, Hugh Freeze, Lane Kiffin, Matt Rule. I don't think Matt Rule wants that job at all. The Mark I Stoops. Think, I don't think who who does want the job at a place where uh, they will absolutely cut your legs off in recruiting, try and fire you, convince everyone that you're going to be fired, and like you can't recruit whenever people do that. It's like they killed Brian Horst. Any chance that he had of being successful, they killed it themselves. Yeah. So someone will take the check though, because they right. they pay and nuts. You, know, you you can recruit there. There's no doubt. But now, uh, Harson at fifteen and a half, I believe. Gus Malzahn was north of twenty one million. So in a couple years, uh, that's in the ballpark of thirty seven million dollars in buyout money for for Auburn. Nice, well done, <laughs> well done for my so loser. Weird. So can you imagine if any business, any legitimate business was run that way? No, no, I couldn't. That's crazy, man. This is stupid. <laughs> College football is the best. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with all the NFL owners because Forbes has reported Dan Snyder has tapped Bank of America to help him sell the Washington commanders and all the other owners have to see that and go no no <laughs> there's nothing that owners in the nfl love more than bad owners because it's usually typically easy to beat their team <laughs> yeah i i'll be interested to see how this goes down and what type of uh ownership groups start to step forward and and uh throw their hat in the ring here to see what could go down it's that place needs some serious work. Like not, not just the football team, the stadium, like they they've got a they got a lot of problems up there. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure that won't be dramatic in how it unfolds. <laughs> <laughs> but my speaking of drama, my loser of the week, the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, and it was it was a crazy week in sports, right? We had NFL trade deadline, college football playoff rankings, World Series. The Nets stole the headlines, right, with the firing of Steve Nash. He's got to be so happy, though. He got fired. He's got to be. He's got to be so happy that he doesn't have to deal with all that anymore. But the Nets are just—they're a dumpster fire, man. I mean, you've got all the Kyrie drama with the anti-Semitism statements, all this stuff. How he's handled that has been a PR disaster. The team not making him available for media after their game on Tuesday, like he's a 12 year old or something like they can't trust me. Uh, we're we're going to let him cool off. It's like, what? <laughs> he's a grown man. He has to face the questions for the stuff he puts out. That's how this thing works, man. But 
It, we're not. They far probably from feel it. like if like it's only going to get worse if they put him out there. Oh, no know? doubt, no, yeah. no doubt. But I mean, it hadn't been that long ago uh, when Kevin Durant was demanded to be trade traded, or he, you know, he wanted Nash fired, the GM fired. You got the Ben Simmons situation with all of it. I mean, this is a crazy stat for Steve Nash. He coached 161 games for the Nets. He had 83 different starting lineups. You talk about no continuity, no consistency, your stars being just complete drama queens. Like it was, I mean, he's got to be so happy that that is over. I mean, he oh, looked I miserable. I know it. Uh, I love how everyone, like, they look at this and say it's the coach's problem. Right, it's the coach's fault, which I mean, anyone in the front office or ownership knows it's not. This is not a Steve Nash issue. Like we've got a billion problems here, and that wasn't one of them. So yeah, it's wild. So Nash gets fired. Not shocking, right? But you look at the net situation. You go, okay, a lot of distractions, a lot of drama. You know, let's just let's just put some gasoline on the fire. Let's let's hire Ime Udoka, a guy that is that is suspended for the entire season by the Boston Celtics for an inappropriate workplace relationship. And not only that, he is a guy that no that is known as like a hard ass. And he's going to come in here and like get these guys to defend and wrangle all these personalities. I, the guy took the Celtics to the finals last year. Now, if Chris Middleton doesn't hurt his knee, the Celtics don't go to the finals, in my opinion. But they did. He got a lot of credit for it. I think a lot of people agree he can coach, he can inspire a team. But this feels like the last guy you would want coaching Kyrie and KD. It just. It seems like it's setting up for another disaster, and I can't wait because the Brooklyn Nets, they are the franchise that keeps on entertaining me. They are the gift that keeps giving. I love it. Yeah, and you start to wonder, is it is it possible as a franchise that it's more profitable to be a disaster with all of these different problems than it is to be actually good? Like, is the do you get like the clicks and the interest and people talking about you? Is it just is it just as good of a way to be profitable as winning basketball games? It makes me wonder because that's appears to be exactly what they they've been going for. Yeah, like, I, what I, catches I, the headlines and what can we, you know, what craziness can we talk about nonstop? Now I've got I've got some buddies that still live out in New York, and the weird thing about it's like. The Nets are this big story nationally, but it's like all anyone in New York cares about is the Knicks, I guess. Yeah. So I I don't know, but it is I the drama has been wildly entertaining and I hope it continues. But Kyrie Irving, mm. guy's an idiot. <laughs> Face I mean, the music, son. Let's yeah. go. Have fun, bud. Good luck. All right. Episode 263 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. 
Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the game. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. But you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.